Karen, can you hear me back there? Okay, great. Well, hi, everybody. Yeah, we're back. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys been enjoying um, Bill's uh, Bible studies on, on uh, the uh, J Joseph? Yeah, good. He's just—he's got a little different way of uh, doing things, but that's—you know—that's—that's that's good. We wouldn't—we uh, wouldn't want everybody to be alike, would we? Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, we do come before you this evening, confessing to you that we fall short of your glory every single week, every single day. Asking you, Lord God, to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and, and uh, help us to understand what we're going to learn tonight. Father, we pray that you'll bless this word and you'll bless us with wisdom and discretion, understanding and knowledge. Lord, we pray for all of the church services that are happening tonight uh, in churches that are teaching your word by means of your spirit. And Lord, we hold up our country to you. We ask that you'll please help us in this country, Father, that you'll start a great revival that we might be able to support your causes around the world. We do pray for our servicemen and women, Lord, that you protect them and bless them with Christian fellowship wherever they're stationed. Lord, we ask for um, a conviction of sin to every single person, Lord God. Uh, and we ask that, Lord God, you would turn this nation back unto you, Lord. That would be our prayer. Father, thank you for everything. Thank you for uh, your great salvation. Thank you for your word. We just trust in you, Lord, that you will make it real to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are in the book of Jude. So that's, that, uh, that's the last book before you hit Revelation. The book of Revelation. Jude, okay, and and you know in the in the two hours that we have left tonight, uh, you know I, I don't know if we can get completely through it, but what we'll do is we'll certainly hit as much of it as we can. We're, I mean we'll get through the book, but I don't know how how in depth I can get with some of these studies. But um, it, it's it's an amazing little book. Uh, Jude was the half brother of. Uh, Jesus, the full brother of James, and in his name is actually Judas. He's one of, th I think, three Judases in the Bible. And um, he, you know, the one thing I liked about Jude and James is that they did not use their relationship with Jesus Christ to promote themselves. Okay, and we'll see that here in the first verse. So are you all there at Jude? All right, so let's look here at the first verse. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, I mean, you know, we know that the family of Jesus, the, the brothers and sister or sisters, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after he rose again from the dead, until he went to the cross and after he rose again from the dead. And we see that uh, certainly James and Jude ended up being very strong Christian people. Uh, here he calls himself a servant, a servant of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just, and this word in the Greek, 
uh, doulos is, is translated slave. So he was a slave of Jesus Christ. And, and that because he wanted to be. You know, Paul said in his, one of his letters, I, I don't remember if it was Corinthians, but he says, I am compelled to serve Jesus Christ. Have you guys ever felt compelled, I mean, to, to pray and compelled to serve the Lord? And, you know, I think about everything that God has done for me and how much I owe him and the fact that I was bought with a price, a very expensive price, and that compels me. You know, that compels me to serve him and to, to learn to love him and, and obey him, etc. So Jude says... A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ so we're gonna see that Jude uses triads a lot he puts things in in uh, uh, denominations of three and here he does that in the very second verse, uh, actually first verse and I want you to notice just a couple things here he says to those who have been called, past, present, or future, past tense, okay, who are loved by God the Father. What would that be? Present tense, and kept by Jesus Christ. So that's not only present, but that's also future, isn't it? So we've got the past, the present, and the future tense represented in this uh, greeting to the people and he's 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 writing to Christian people here and I think it's wonderful where he says to those who have been called and this um, this verb in the Greek has the connotation of you've been called in the past with the connotation that you're still called okay nothing's going to change that he says and who are loved by God the Father. Now that's awesome. Loved by God the Father. And kept by Jesus Christ. Now he goes on with threes again. He says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And this is awesome. Mercy, of course, is we are, we are kept from getting what we deserve as sinful human beings. All right? He says this, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you to you about the salvation we share, that was his original intent in this letter. He says, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So Jude sits down to write this letter and He's going to tell people in the letter about the salvation that we share. And God changes his direction. He changes his direction to share with these believers uh, the fact that they need to be careful. They need to contend for the faith. They need to fight for the faith. They need, and obviously, if you're contending for the faith, you can assume what? That something is going to come against you, right? Yeah. So let's find out what. He says, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once 
for all entrusted to the saints. Now he tells us uh, what's going on here. He says, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago. Are these Christians or non-Christians? Non-Christians, right? Because obviously Christians, their condemnation has not been written about a long time ago. So these are non-Christian people, he says, um, that have secretly slipped in among you. Now, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 1, let me turn to it. You don't necessarily need to because I was going to read one verse to you. But in Galatians chapter 1, listen to what Paul says. Paul says this. He says, yeah, he's, he's talking about, um, he went up to Jerusalem he, uh, with Barnabas. He took Titus along with him. He went in response to a revelation that was set before him uh, concerning the gospel. You know what God did with Paul? God took him out to the desert. He took him out to the desert 14 years before he wrote this, and he revealed this gospel of grace to Paul. He revealed, I'm sure, that uh, Gentiles were going to be saved also because we see in Ephesians where he says that the mystery is God in you. The mystery is that Gentiles are saved along with Jews. Well, here's what he says. He says, um, I did this privately to show those who seem to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So what had happened here is that People had come into this church at Galatia and they had brought in the law with them and say, you have to keep the law uh, along with, um, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call grace. And unfortunately, we still have many Christians today that are very legalistic. Um, I'm, I don't think anybody really needs to be realistic, uh, legalistic if they are truly searching for, for Christ and truly searching for God because love should compel us to obey, right? We don't need to have a, a set of rules written out for us that says obey this and obey this. I've often used the example of you know, doing a, a wedding for someone and you know, you're up on the stage there and, and you're about ready to exchange rings and uh, you know, uh, the wife pulls out this this list, you know, and it's, it's, it's five pages long, and it says, well, honey, I will marry you if, okay, if you'll do the dishes, if you'll take out the garbage, if you make sure that the toilet seat's not left up, and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's legalism, okay? I mean, you know, she's marrying him because hopefully she loves him, and he's marrying him hopefully because he loves her, and we're obeying God hopefully because we love him. He says this, he says, this matter arose, okay, this legalistic matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves, slaves to the law. So really Jude is dealing with the same thing here, only I think even worse. Jude says, 
they are godless men. That tells me they are definitely unbelievers who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Not only that, but they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So the ungodly portion means that they are opposed to God. All right, these people that have come in really are opposing God and his word. Then we look at this, they're changing grace, okay, into a license to suit their own agenda. Now, the Bible says that we have freedom in Christ, right? Okay? But what does it say about the freedom? It says, don't use your freedom so that it becomes a stumbling block to your Christian brothers and sisters. So if we had a church picnic, you know, you're not going to see uh, me bringing in a, a half rack of beer because that could, you know, cause somebody to stumble, especially somebody who had had problems with alcohol. Yeah, and uh, God, God fixed me on the drinking thing. I get reflux every time I drink alcohol, so I don't drink alcohol anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, what can you say? No, nothing like a good old glass of water, right? So Jude is telling these people, I felt that I had to change my message. I felt that I had to write you to fight for the faith and to contend for it. Why? Because these false brothers, these godless men, these people whose condemnation was written about a long time ago have come in and they're changing the grace of God into a license for immorality. Not only that, because this, this generally speaking, this follows that. They're denying the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle John says, and I can turn to it because it's only just one page away. Here's what he says about this. He says this, dear friends, this is John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now this is amazing, I mean, John wrote this letter just a few short years after Jesus Christ rose from the dead and yet Satan was at work. He was at work bringing false brothers into that early church. Paul even said in the book of Acts, he said, I fear and I'm warning you that when I leave, wolves will come in and they will try to fleece the sheep. So he says this, John says this, he says, he gives us the litmus test here. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Wow. So even from the beginning of the church, that spirit of Antichrist was 
was there and trying to make converts. Uh, we see, you know, part of the problem that the early ch church faced was this word called Gnosticism. It's Gnostics. It comes from the Greek word Gnosis. You don't really pronounce the G. Gnosis, we'll say. And the word Gnosis in the Greek means knowledge. And what these false brothers, some of them would come into the church saying is this, we have the secret Gnosis. We have the secret knowledge that God has only revealed to us and we're going to reveal it to you. And of course, when first of all, God's not impartial, is he? He gives knowledge to anyone who seeks it. He says in the word, anyone who seeks after truth will what? They'll find it, huh? They'll find it. Every day I pray, I, I pray for uh, the believers separately from the Jewish people and separately from the unbelievers. And my first prayer for the unbelievers is, Lord, anybody that's searching for truth, your word says that they will find it. So help them to find it, please, you know? So Jude goes on. He says, for certain men whose condemnation, condemnation was written about long ago has secretly slipped in among you. This is a problem. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. Now, immorality does not necessarily just have to do with sexual immorality because idol worship is immoral. There's lots and lots of things that are immoral besides sexual immorality. Now what we're going to see here is he's going to give us three examples of, of this um, apostasy. Now the word apostasy, apostasia, simply means a departing. It means a departing. Now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, somewhere around verse 3 or 4, it says that uh, it's a dual prophecy. Let me read it to you because my uh, thinking cap is probably going to make it wrong. So let me just read it to you real quick. It's um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he says this. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. I'm in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And what had happened is that these new believers in this new church had been sent a letter of some type that was forged and supposedly came from Paul, saying that the day of the Lord had already come. They were already in the tribulation. And so he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day, the day of the tribulation, the day of the Lord, will not come until, number one, the rebellion occurs, okay? The rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now this word rebellion is apostasia, okay? Before Jesus Christ comes and and I would say even before the rapture of the church, we're seeing apostasy building. And that is a departing from the faith. But that's not all. He says this. He says, uh, 
Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion or the apostasy occurs and the man of lawlessness, this is the Antichrist, is revealed the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Now, last Sunday I didn't get to it, but I'm gonna, I think I'm going to get to it this Sunday, talking about the abomination that causes desolation. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. When this man, which this has happened before, we have a, we have a precedent, this man is going to go into the temple and he's going to declare himself to be God and he is going to, to demand worship, right? He says this, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Well, what is holding him back is the Holy Spirit. That's what's holding. The Holy Spirit is, is holding that evilness, that wickedness that's going to be uh, uh, prevalent in the whole world back until something happens. Okay? Let me tell you what's going to happen. He says, and you know what is holding him back, holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. John said that the spirit of the Antichrist was already at work. He says, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. So now we're talking about the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Godhead. And that third person of the Godhead is holding a lid on evil right now until, it says, he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So what does that mean? How is the Holy Spirit restraining evil today? Through the church. Yeah, through, through born-again believers. Through the gospel. Through all of the means that the gospel is, is presented over the airwaves, over uh, in person, etc. So what this tells us is this. Is that... First of all, we're not going to know who the, the Antichrist is, okay? We, we probably need to search for Jesus Christ rather than the Antichrist. We will be taken out of the way before the Antichrist is revealed, all right? And that's good news because what that means is that we're not going to go through that terrible time of uh, God's wrath on the face of the earth. Now, so uh, let me go back here to Jude, all right? And Jude says this in verse um, 5. He says, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. He's going to give us three instances from the Old Testament of apostasia, or 
a departing from the faith. All right? First instance is in verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt. Okay, that's awesome. But later destroyed those who did not believe. Now the second example, he says in verse 6, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change, chains for judgment on the great day. Who are these angels? So first of all, we know from Revelation chapter 12 that Satan took approximately one-third of the angels that God had created with him. They rebelled and they, they fell. They're fallen angels. Now, Peter talks about some angels. So turn back just a few books to Peter. If you went to James, you went too far. All right, and we'll look at Second Peter, okay? Second Peter, chapter two, and starting in verse one. Okay, Second Peter two one. Now Peter is going to talk to his readers about false prophets, false brothers, just as Jude talked about false brothers just as Paul talked about false brothers. So we have three apostles here that are talking about the same thing. Listen to what Jude, uh, or Peter says in chapter two, verse one. He says this, and we read chapter one last week on Sunday when uh, we read that in verse 16, chapter one, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 19, he says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. And then in verse 20, he says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy, now this is God's prophecy, mind you, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to see Peter talk about false pro prophets, false brothers, and angels. And I believe, as do many uh, commentators, that the angels that Peter is talking about are the same angels that Jude's talking about. Okay? Let's take a look here. He says in verse 1, chapter 2, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly, remember what I told you? We have this secret knowledge, right? They will secretly introduce a destructive, a destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. That's almost the exact same thing that Jude said, it wasn't it? Let me read Jude to you again. He says this, They are godless men who changed the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So we go on in chapter 2. He says this, 
they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. You know, and I've, I've, I've said this quite a few times, I'll say it again, okay? Truth plus truth equals lie plus a lie equals truth plus a lie equals yeah so you can if you mix a little truth in with your lie it's still a lie and that's what these people were doing he says this many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute in their greed so we're assuming that uh, they're greedy for fame, they're greedy for power, they're greedy for money, uh, they're greedy for acknowledgement. These teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them. Isn't that just exactly what Jude said? And their destruction has not been sleeping. For if, now this if, we're going to see a one, two, three, four, five. We're going to see five ifs in the next couple of verses, okay? And um, this if in the Greek is a first-class condition. What it means is if and it's true, okay? Let me see if I can say something in English that would that, see. Um, If you're going to the store, it'll be a short drive. Well, if you live in Eagle Point and you go to Walmart, that's a short drive, okay? So that would be if and it's true. So as we see these ifs, we're going to see that what he's talking about in each one of these categories is true. The first category he says in verse four, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. He goes on. We'll come back to that. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, so that's true. If, and it's true, he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, which he did, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, and it is, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men for trial and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true, he says, of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Now we're going to see in Jude that these three examples that he uses the example of the children of Israel, the example of the angels, the example of Korah and Balaam 
And there's another example that I can't remember right off the top of my head. Um, all despised authority. And they were all immoral. Now, let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 4. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, so these are fallen angels, aren't they? But sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Are all angels in hell awaiting judgment? Uh, fallen angels, I mean. No. Yeah, what does Ephesians chapter 6 says? Chapter 6, starting in verse 10, it says there are principalities. Okay, that's a term for um, a hierarchy of, in this case, evil angels. There are, uh, let, me, let me read it because, again, I want to make sure I quote it correctly to you. You don't have to turn there. He says this, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So some angels, some fallen angels, are out and about causing havoc, trying to tempt us, trying to get us to sin, trying to destroy what's good. Then there are a certain um, kind of angel, a certain class of angel that did something so bad that they are condemned to hell and are kept in gloomy dungeons even right now. Now, who are those angels? Well, go with me to Genesis chapter 6, okay? Genesis chapter 6. Now, what I'm going to read you and what I'm going to tell you, okay, is controversial today. It didn't used to be. The early church and church fathers and many of the... Um, commentators today of the Bible still agree that in Genesis chapter 6 we're talking about angels. So let's, yes. And the rabbis believe it too. Many. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's only been of, of fairly recent that uh, another thought or another doctrine has come out about what we're going to read here and I'll tell you about it I can't really enumerate it in great detail, but I'll try my best. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, that's B'nai Elohim, okay, so that is angels, same phrase that was used in Job chapter 1 when the B'nai Elohim came before the Lord, and had a discussion with him. And I'll, I'll say some more about that. It says, The sons of God, or the angels of God, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His, his days will be 120 years. Chapter 6, verse 4. 
The Nephilim, now this is the actual word in the original, and the word Nephilim means giant, okay? The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God, God went to, to the daughters of men, they had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Now, if you look at verse, um, if you look at verse 11, okay? Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. All right, so we'll stop there for just a minute. Yes. To fall, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It, it's translated giants in some um, of the versions, but yeah, it means to fall. Okay, so here is the, 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 the one theory that was believed on in the early church, by the rabbis, etc., and that's this, that there was a class of angels that God gave authority to over the nations, okay? We know that that's true because in Daniel, what did Gabriel say? I would have been here two weeks earlier, but I had to fight against the prince of, was it uh, Persia? Yeah, the prince of Persia. Well, he wasn't fighting against a man. He was fighting against an angel, okay? The angel that was assigned to watch over that culture. Well, what happened, or theoretically what happened, is this, is that God assigned these, and these weren't fallen angels to start with, okay? These were angels that had not fallen with Satan's, Satan's um, rebellion. But they saw what life on earth was like. They were way more intelligent than earth people because it says here that we were made a little lower than the angels, right? They saw that the women were beautiful and they disobeyed God and went after these women. Now, what does it say? You can keep your fingers there, but I'm gonna go back to Jude for just a second and I'm gonna read something to you, okay? Oops, I gotta get in the New Testament. So here's what Jude says. And this is important. He says this. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. God had given them positions of authority. And they did not keep them. They rebelled against God and disobeyed God. The angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home. These he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Now, uh, so, so I'm going to read the next thing in Jude. You don't have to turn there yet. He says in verse 7, we'll go back to it, in a similar way. In a similar way to what? In a similar way to the angels. 
Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. He goes on in verse 8. In the very same way, so now there's no doubt now, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. All right, so back to Genesis for, for a minute. So the other theory that's been brought out is that these sons of God were actually sons of Seth, okay? Seth was the replacement for Abel, right? Abel was killed by Cain. Cain was banished. Adam and Eve had another son named Seth who was of the good line. He was of the believer's line. Cain was of the unbeliever's line. So they're saying, well, these sons of God, Sethites, okay, not angels, saw the daughters of men who had come from the line of Cain, okay, the line of Cain. So these are bad girls, bad, bad girls. And they had, they married him and had sex with him, and then they brought forth these fallen ones, the Nephilim, all right? First of all, were, was every woman of the line of Cain bad? It's kind of hard to believe, you know? Was every man from the line of Seth good? Again, hard to believe. What's that? Oh. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say 100% positive, this is the way you should believe. All right? Because the Bible doesn't say that. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, what did God say to Satan? Let's read it, since we're not very far from it. He says this. So he, you know, they sinned. Adam and Eve sinned, right? And in chapter 3, verse 12, Adam says, Well, the woman you put with, here with me, she gave me some fruit, and I ate it. So he's blaming the woman. Well, then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said... Well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So she's blaming the serpent. So nobody wants to take credit. So then in verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity, that's enemies, okay, between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a direct reference to Christ on the cross. The devil thought that he had Christ whooped because he went to the cross. They had six or seven illegal trials. They found him guilty and they put Christ on the cross and Satan's just yay Christ is going to die of course he wasn't yaying three days later was he no Christ rose from the dead and defeated death so what in this verse 
that we just read about he will strike, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a beginning verse about the battle of the seed. Okay, the battle of the seed. There's the seed of the devil and there's the seed of God. All right? And they have been in conflict ever since Adam and Eve's sin. What has Satan tried to do to stop Jesus Christ from being born? The first thing he did was he polluted the entire human race with angelic blood. That's what Genesis chapter 6 gives us that. What did, what did Genesis chapter 6 say? It said this. It said, now the earth was corrupt. That's, that's what we're talking about here. It wasn't that, it, it was that not only had man become very wicked, but his inner DNA had been corrupted by angelic DNA. Now, can Christ, let's fast forward a few thousand years, can Christ die on the cross for the sins of every man if he's an angel? No. He's got to be the mediator. A mediator, that's not mediator, okay, that's mediator, all right? A mediator has to be equal with both parties of the mediation. Christ had to be equal with God and he had to be equal with man so that he could mediate the two together. If Christ would have been part angel, now he's not part human or he's not all human. And we've got a problem there. How else did Satan try to stop Christ? Do you remember? How about when he, when he had uh, the Pharaoh or whoever it was that said to Moses, yeah, we're going to kill all the babies, two year, baby boys, two years and under, right? That was another. How about Haman? Haman, he tried to kill all, have all the Jews killed. That would have stopped the seed. See, Satan has tried to stop the seed of Jesus Christ. You go to the genealogy of Jesus Christ in uh, the, the start of the Gospels, and it has, one of them has it all the way from Adam. And then the other one, I think, has it all the way from Mary. I don't know. From some. So, so here's the deal. When else did Jesus, uh, when else did Satan try to stop the seed of Jesus Christ. Yes? Yes. When Remember when the wise men came and they, they talked to uh, Caesar and they said, yeah, we've seen a star. We've seen this king star. And he says, oh, have you now? Well, why don't you report back to me and let me know where this baby is not so I can go worship him well the the wise men's God warned them don't go back there and so what the Caesar did is he had all the babies a baby boys killed I believe it was from two ages age two on down trying to stop that seed Satan's been active Satan influenced the uh, the priests and the Jewish religious leaders 
when Jesus Christ was, was alive and on the face of the earth. And how many times do we read that they tried to kill Jesus? But they couldn't. Why couldn't they kill Jesus? Because his time had not yet come. Right? I would say the temptation in the wilderness would count too. Yeah, because he wasn't necessarily trying to kill Jesus, but he was trying to have Jesus use his divinity to solve these problems. And if Jesus Christ would have used his divinity, well, then he, then now all of a sudden, we don't have divinity that we can use. I mean, I can't, I don't know about you, but of course, if I bake some bread, they might be like stones, but you know, uh, I can't turn stones into bread. I could probably turn bread into stones though, I think. <laughs> so, so then what do we have here? What we've got here in Genesis chapter six is we've got this, and I'll call it a theory or doctrine for now, that the sons of God, which are the B'nai Elohim, the, the, the angels that God assigned to their particular positions, sinned, they, and so you say to me, well, how can an angel have sex with a human? Hey, let me tell you, you ever read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Those, those men in Sodom and Gomorrah sure wanted to have sex with those angels. You know, angels can take on an appearance and a body of a human being. What about Abraham? They see the three men coming. One of them was the pre-incarnate Christ. Two angels. Two angels that went down to Sodom. What did they do? Abraham and Sarah fixed them something to eat. They ate. Okay? Angels have a different composition than we do. They're, they are composed of light, but yet they have a free will, first of all, and they also have the ability to change into uh, whatever God allows them to change into, I suppose. Yes? They are messengers. Yeah. So then, if we go by that theory, and again, I'm telling you, it's controversial. If you don't want to believe it, I, could, I can't blame you. Okay? But, how do you explain Goliath and his four brothers? I think it was four brothers, wasn't it? Five stones. Yeah. How do you explain when the uh, when Joshua and Caleb were assembled the spies to go in the promised land they go on in there and what did the when they came back out what did the ten say we are like grasshoppers in their sight right yeah these were big big men they have found and I, I, I'm not sure why it's being hidden but it is they have found bones in Sardinia, in America. They have found bones of humans that were huge. I mean, we're talking 15, 16, 20 feet tall. Yeah. Yeah, in America. Yeah. Yeah. So 
So the Nephilim, okay, the fallen, the giants, because, yes, Bill? Interesting. Yeah, maybe. Well, he said, well, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and what did it say in Genesis? Let me read it to you. I'm glad you asked. It says here, it says, um, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. This is the reason that God brought the flood. This is the reason that, that the entire human race minus eight had to be killed because they had angelic mixed blood. That's the reason that the animals have had to be destroyed. I mean, I'm sure that all of you have heard of bestiality, okay, having sex with animals. People are doing it today. They've done it forever. And, and the earth was so corrupt in God's sight that if he hadn't have done it with the flood, if he hadn't have brought judgment, then it's it's no telling whether when when Noah uh, yeah when Noah died would his sons have you know who who knows I mean would the entire human race at that point been a mix of angelic and human blood which God then Jesus Christ couldn't have come and been our Savior at that point so the the theory makes sense if you believe it's possible for the supernatural to interact with the human, okay? And the supernatural interacts with the humans all the time. I mean, we just know that. It doesn't make sense that uh, all of the sons of Seth would have been goody two-shoes and all of the daughters of Cain from Cain's uh, uh, line would have been bad people. Um, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you just it, it, nowhere in the Bible does it say B'nai Elohim are humans. They're always angels. Okay, so we have to assume. And and, and the one thing about uh, studying the Bible and interpreting the Bible is you always go to first mention. Wherever it's first mentioned in the Bible, that is where you start from. And if B'nai Elohim is, if this is the first mention, that's where you start from, okay? So there's a lot more to this angelic conflict than what we know. Uh, if, I've, I've said it before, if we could color the angelic uh, angels and powers around us. Maybe if we could color the, the, the fallen ones black and the, the good ones white, it would scare us to death. I mean, it would literally scare us to death. Yeah, angels are, are everywhere, either ministering bad or ministering good, yes.
think it's very possible. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, there are some that say or think that the Antichrist is going to be a Nephilim. Okay, so, yeah. You know, after the flood, how did the Nephilim reappear? There's only two ways I can think of. Either the fallen angels again did the same thing that they did in Genesis chapter 6, or one of the wives of the sons, one of those people on the boat had a Nephilim gene in them. That's, that's the only other thing I can think of. Well, he says, uh, he, uh, uh, he says this, he says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now he doesn't say his sons found favor. He doesn't say that the wives found favor. He just says Noah had three sons, Shem, Haf, and J Ham, and Japheth. And we know that those sons had problems, okay? And the line of Canaan, okay, which was the cursed line, came from Ham, okay, came from Ham, the son. So, you know, is it a, is it a, I mean, how many, how many of you people have ever heard this study before? Bits and pieces, okay, okay, yeah. It's, uh, it's an incredible study, and it's uh, when I did the angelic conflict study several years ago on a Wednesday night, it took us, it took us a couple of years. Um, we brought that out uh, because we went through the, the angelic conflict, how it developed, what's going on now, where it'll go, etc. But let's go back to Jude real quick, okay? And what I will say is this, is that if, if you want, uh, sometime in the near future, we can go back to Jude and really pick it apart, okay? Tonight, I just want to kind of get through it. Now, so he says this. He's going to give us three examples of apostasy. The first one is in verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. The second uh, example of apostasy is, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home or their own assignments, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Peter affirms this. He says, if God did not spare the angels who sinned, right? Okay. Talking about the same thing, I'm sure. Now, verse 7 in a similar way. So what are we talking about? We're talking about rejection of authority. We are talking about immorality. We are talking about denying Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns, wow, gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Would Jude put this right after verse 6 and say in a similar way, 
if there wasn't sexual immorality involved here? Do you understand what I'm saying? It makes sense that he keeps the same subject matter if he's going to say in a similar way. Now, in verse 8, it says, in the very same way, oh boy, these dreamers pollute their own bodies. Okay, how do they pollute their own bodies? Well, immorality. They reject authority and slander celestial beings. But, here's a contrast, and this is an amazing verse. We, this is the only time that this subject is brought up in the entire Bible. He says, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, wouldn't you like to have been a lizard on a rock there, huh? Man. See, Moses was buried on Mount Nebo, and it is shown that Mount Nebo is a center for fallen angelic beings. So Satan was disputing with, uh, with um, Michael, the archangel, saying, no, this is my territory. I get to bury him. And uh, Michael, the archangel, said, yeah, I don't think so. But he says this, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men, now we're speaking about these men who have secretly slipped in, these um, godless men, yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. So, let's, let me tell you the difference between a dumb apostate and a smart apostate, okay? A dumb apostate uh, maligns what he does not understand, right? A smart apostate destroy, distorts the truth. Yeah, basically that's what he's saying here. He says, woe to them. Now he's going to give us three examples here. Again, they have taken the way of Cain. Cain refused to kill an animal to portray the death of Christ, but he committed a murder with no problem at all. Killed his brother, but wouldn't kill the lamb. Oh, yeah, the people that, that say save the whales but abort the babies. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So Cain, let's just take just a second to think about Cain. Cain knew what the Lord wanted, didn't he? Why? Because God had told Adam and Eve about sacrificing, about the blood covering the sins, which was a picture of Jesus Christ's blood covering the sins. And so what did Cain do? He rejected authority, first of all. He rejected the authority of God. He certainly rejected the authority of his mother and father. And in addition to that, he decided to set up his own religion, his own offering. I'm going to bring the work of my hands. Right? We have Christians today that think you can get to heaven by being good people. 
Well, let me tell you something. If you can be as good as Jesus Christ and be born without an old sin nature, okay. But that doesn't happen to be the case. We are all born. Today, my son, uh, his wife was supposed to, I don't know if they did or not because I don't have my phone in here. She's supposed to give birth to their third baby boy. Okay, today, yeah. But that little baby boy, as cute and absolutely innocent as he is, is going to be born with an old sin nature. It's part of our spiritual DNA. We inherited that from Adam, which, which went all the way down the line through the fathers. It didn't go through the mothers, it went through the fathers. And we inherit our old sin nature from our father. Why? Eve was deceived. Adam sinned willfully. Okay? He knew better. Now, so he says this. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain, despised authority, set up their own religion, and uh, are dishonest. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. What was Balaam's error? Does anyone remember? He was supposed to go down and curse the Jews, yes, but he couldn't. He couldn't. So Balak, the king, says, well, come on, man. I mean, I'm going to pay you good money. These Jews, there's a lot of them, and, and I'm worried about them, and I'm worried about them taking over my kingdom. There's got to be a way to, to, to get to them. And so Balaam said, tell you what, have them cute Moabite women. He had a little Texas accent. He says, have them cute Moabite women come and, with their little slinky dresses, and I'm telling you right now, those, Israel, those Jewish men will go right after them. That's exactly what they did exactly what they did and they ended up worshiping false gods, idols, etc which was why God divorced them now they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion, do you remember about Korah's rebellion Korah came up against Moses and Aaron and said you ain't the boss of us we can, we can be just as bossy as you have, we have just the same right and Moses said, really, do you now? Tell you what, would you step away just a little bit, please? And uh, Lord, what do you think about that? <laughs> the earth opened up and swallowed 25,000 of them or something like that. 3,000, was it? Oh, there we go. Okay, awesome. It says in verse 12, these men, speaking again of these intruders into the church, these men are blemishes at your love feasts eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. What's a shepherd supposed to do? Feed the flock. Yeah. It says they are clouds without rain. So they have no responsibility and they have no water for refreshment. So they're not going to refresh you. They are blown about or along with the wind. They have no stability. They are autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. They're twice dead. So an autumn tree without fruit is dead. And when they're uprooted, they're twice dead. Okay, that's what he's saying here. They are wild waves of the sea. They're destructive. They foam up their shame. 
they are wandering stars, though they're shooting stars, they're unfit for navigation, they're wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. I don't know about you, I wouldn't want to be described like that. That's pretty nasty, isn't it? I mean, is there anything good in there at all? Nothing, huh? He says, Enoch, now we know Enoch is the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. You can read about this in the book of Enoch, chapter 1, verses 9 to 14 and 15. The book of Enoch is, was not considered canonical. Okay, which means that they didn't include it in our version of the Bible. However, in the Ethiopian version of the Bible, it is included. The book of Enoch is included. It's a very interesting book. It talks about the fallen angels. It talks about the giants. It talks about all these things we've been talking about tonight. How are we doing for time? Oh, we still got another hour. Wow. Awesome. So Enoch is technically... We'll say it's non-canonical or non-inspired, but Jude quotes almost directly from it. Now, whether God gave him those words or whether he read the book of Enoch, we don't know. But do you remember Enoch, don't you? He was, it says he walked with God for, I believe it was 300 years, and God took him. He was the first one that I, I think, the first example of the rapture. Yeah, yeah. So we'll meet old Enoch in heaven. He says this, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Quote, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So this judgment is only for the ungodly. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, here's your contrast. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, quote, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires, end quote. Isn't that almost exactly what Peter said? Peter said in the last days there will be scoffers and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Things have gone along just like they have since our forefathers were young. It says this, verse 19, these are the men who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, now he's going to give us three things, maybe four things to do here. But you, dear friends, number one, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. How are you going to do that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ, huh? Yeah. Okay, so that's the first thing we want to do is we want to build ourselves up. Second thing he says is this. Pray in the Holy Spirit. So make sure that your sins are forgiven. Or I should say not forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. Make sure your sins are confessed. You see, we confess our sins for our own selves. God already knows. He's already forgiven our sins. But 
you know, if any man thinks he stand, take, he should take heed lest he fall. Every morning when I get up, and every half an hour thereafter, <laughs> I, you know, say to the Lord, Lord, please forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And in the morning, I list what I think my sins are. And then the cleansing me from unrighteousness is anything that I can't remember. Okay, or anything that I forgot or anything that I just didn't even know was a sin and ended up being a sin. Now, so he says this. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Get into the word. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Well, that, that's an interesting statement. So let's just look at it this way, okay? Keep yourself in God's love. How do you do that? If you were in a shower, in the shower, taking a shower, and that shower represented God's love, okay? And you decided to step out of the shower, God's love stills there, right? But you perhaps maybe quenched the spirit or, or did something that that caused you to not be in communication with God. Well, God still loves you, but now instead of, instead of a blessing that we would consider a blessing, he's got to discipline us, which is still a blessing, okay? Okay, does that make sense to everybody? Okay, good. He says this. He says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling. This is awesome. You know, what did he say? He said this. He said, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And in verse 3 in Jude, it says... Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write you to, and urge you to contend for the faith. Can you see why he had to urge them to contend for the faith? Because they had these people coming in that were trying to lead them astray. And he says this, so this is the doxology in verse 24. To him who is able to keep you. All right, so... Who was the one that kept us? It says in verse 1, to those who have been called, to those who are loved by God the Father, and kept by who? Jesus Christ. Okay? We're kept by Jesus. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, he's... he's, he's He's referring to Jesus Christ here, although Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit are one. Be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, the book of Jude is quite the mouthful. Don't you think? Yeah. And it's unfortunately not a book that we 
we study often. I'm not sure why. It kind of gets lost right before Revelation there. But um, it's an awesome book. And so um, let me run something by you here. I, I'll let you go here pretty quick. It looks like it's five after or almost five after. Um, and I won't mention any specifics right now because I haven't worked them out. Okay. But what would you guys think about doing a ask the pastor night? Okay. Finding the verses that you don't understand. Finding the verses that are difficult. Uh, the stories that are difficult. Whatever. Um, I've talked to Bill about this. He's, you know, he, he's pretty sharp. And uh, between him and I, hopefully we could answer at least three, three out of 20,000 questions. Uh, but I think it'd be kind of fun uh, in the sense that, you know, you think about uh, these verses that seem to, to say that you can lose your salvation. Right? There are verses that seem to say that. Hebrews chapter 6 is one of them. Uh, wouldn't it be interesting to have that explained? You know? Uh, would you guys be open to that or no? Okay. All right. Well, so we'll let you know. And then uh, be, be thinking about that now then. Starting to think about that now. And uh, maybe write, take a blank, little blank piece of paper in your, put it in your Bible. And whenever you think of something or run across something that you'd like to discuss, we'll discuss it. Yeah, that'd be good. Yes? That's a toughie, and yeah, that's, that's a real good discussion. Yeah, th that would be toward the top of my list. It, and, it, and it is. It's, it's not hard, but it's hard, unless somebody explains it to you. Visuals. Yeah. Huh? Well, the 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, yeah, right. If I can get some visuals, I will. If I can print something up, I'll do that. I think that would be smart. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, and I've got, I've, I've got some of the, I've got some really good quality documentaries and things like that of Christian nature that we could show on a Wednesday or or so, uh, we have showed a few of them, but we can show some more. And uh, what do you think? I think it'd be fun. Okay, so we'll do that. Well, I hope I hope we didn't confuse anybody. Okay. You know, Sue, you're speaking for all of us. Sue said, "I can't believe how much I don't know." Isn't that, isn't that the facts? I can't believe how much I don't know. And you know, that's really why we need to be gathered together and we need to discuss this stuff. We need to go through. Every, I really believe that every single word in the Bible is important. Every single word. God is so smart that he put it together exactly like he wanted it. Now we've got different versions. Okay, that's fine. But you know what? The Holy Spirit can take us and lead us in even in any of these versions. And we will, if we're searching for truth, what's going to happen? We'll find truth. Yeah, sure. 
So, Father in heaven, we do thank you for the truth of, of your word, for this book of Jude, which is ever so amazing, Lord. I, I wish we understood it more, and perhaps you'd, you'd give us more wisdom about it. And, Father, we just pray that you'll continue to bless uh, this Wednesday night service and the Sunday service, Lord, and, and may you uh, refill, Lord God, our cups with joy and energy and um, love for you, and we promise we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name, amen. So next Wednesday is the Valentine's Day dinner, so yeah, if you haven't uh, signed up for it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Is it still too late? Okay, so you can still sign up if you want to, okay?